Three, two, one, and we are back. Hey, Julie, welcome to, what is today? The 13th? I think so. Yeah, today's the 13th. <laughs> yes. Sun, Sunday the 13th, yes. Yep. And uh, we always like to uh, warn everyone that this is our, our Surgeon's General health warning that we put out before we start our Sunday podcast. Not your normal podcast. Not the normal podcast. We're going to talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about, and Julie and I make a point of always... Um, oversaturating our brains on the weekends with things that have nothing to do with the things we think about during the week. Yes. So for the you know, for the you know the, the point being is we want to keep everything frosty in our minds and we need unplugged from the uh, real estate um, helping you guys uh, with your sales and business building and business consulting and book writing and podcast creating and all the other things we do during the week. Sunday is for us to unplug and hopefully spend a little bit of time with you guys and we can kind of sit around and you know, share some thoughts. And when I'm um, when I'm doing this podcast, not so much the one during the week, but when we're, you know, when Julie and I are doing this, I always, we, we literally do this in a physically different location. We're more casual. Um, and we have this visualization that we're sitting around with a group of friends talking about just random topics like, you know, normal people do. And so that's the point of the Sunday podcast. But with that said, we can talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, we'll never talk about politics. Nope. Or we'll never talk about any, whatever the uh, social cause du jour is. We're going to talk about things that truly um, are weird, like, you know, flying worms and... Um, we have quite the menu today. We do. Up, I think. I know, it's we crazy. We just work through our thoughts. Well, actually... But, but to your point, you know, in uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill wrote a chapter called Masterminds. And I think it's different than what people assume that it's about. You know, a lot of people have that on their shelf, but either haven't read it in a long time or didn't quite digest it because it it is kind of a tough read was written a long time ago but what he really meant in that chapter is that you can think about your mastermind yeah I mean you can have an actual physical mastermind where you go and meet we did that you know in our real estate years we had an Ohio mastermind with people from Cleveland Columbus and well we did uh, the Howard Brenton thing that was before it got too big and political that was a mastermind that's right but Napoleon also says you can have a mastermind with quotes around it with even people that are just, you know, like him, somebody who maybe is deceased, but you really reflect and honor that person and really appreciate their thoughts. Sometimes that's a relative that you can consider in your mastermind. Sometimes it's a great author or a scientist, and it can certainly be friends, associates of yours. It doesn't have to be this big formalized mastermind group with a whole bunch of rules. It can be kind of like what we're doing right now with all of you guys. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, isn't that really, I think, one of the core fundamental reasons why podcasting has become so incredibly popular? I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. It's because you most, it's, it's funny, guys, if you've ever thought about doing a podcast, yeah, Julie and I have been doing it for so long, but I still remember having all these fears that we needed to make the podcast more produced. We need to have someone edit it afterwards. You guys hear that parrot in the background? Mm-hmm. I mean, if this was five years ago when we were doing a podcast, trust me, that parrot would be driving me crazy because yep. I'd be all focused on the wrong thing. And, you know, there, Julie and I will sometimes be interrupted by Zoe or, like I said, Mr. Parrot back there, if mm-hmm. you can hear him. We are in Puerto Rico and there are little green parrots and yes. there's full-fledged macaws and the whole thing. It's amazing. Julie and I are living our the dream sequence of our life. Oh, <laughs> I indeed, think that's in the Caribbean and sometimes you guys can hear that. Yeah, so but but that's really at the end of the day um, what we discovered was the less formal the podcast is, the more informal the conversation, the more random the conversation. In other words, 
the more real it is, not just real it feels. Like you'll hear people say real it feels when I hear that, when they're saying we're going to try to make it feel real. What they're really saying is they're going to try to simulate real versus just having a real honest conversation where you just sort of let opinions fly and all the rest of it. And when, again, you don't have to be living in fear that we're going to drop some nuclear, you know, political nuclear bomb on you because we don't just, that's not how we think or, and that's not how we, uh, and actually the first thing I want to talk about is right, right in alignments with what I'm saying. The, the problem ultimately is if you start talking about all that politicized, everything's politicized it seems, but then you begin to be triggered and then you lose control of your emotions and you lose control of your thoughts and all of a sudden you're living somebody else's version of what you should be living in your life because you're all of a sudden carrying their water for them as far as, you know, all these crazy things happen. And, and one of the first, I was actually writing this down, Julie, I told you a little bit about it this morning. And this is for the sake of one of the podcasts that I hope to do this week. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way. You actually, you gave me a perfect opportunity to do a little pitch. All right. I walked right past it. <laughs> so you guys get the book, Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate. Uh, when you I did read my mind. I did. Was that what you were doing? You were yeah. teeing it up for me? Yep. <laughs> That's funny. So um, you do get the book, Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate, when you text the word survival to 31996. Texting the word survival to 31996, you're going to get a text back, and that text back is going to give you uh, direct access to the free coaching program. Now, the free coaching program, just to be clear, is not the normal coaching program. It is a maybe 10% of the normal coaching program, but it is the perfect coaching program for all of you guys to get started because not only does it give you you know, the real estate treasure map, it gives you a think and grow rich for real estate, it gives you your 12-month lead generation plan, it gives you essentially all the guides in the books that a lot of you will need when you're in your formulation stage and you're ready to move past the getting ready to get started and to aid you along your way in the free coaching program believe it or not is also access to a daily free semi-private coaching call and uh yeah so all you guys got to do is text the word survival to 31996 text the word survival to 31996 yes so i'm um i'm texting i don't want to i know he's probably listening to the podcast so uh, I'm not going to use his name. All okay. Right, fair enough. So I'm texting with somebody who's, I would say, especially in EXP is very famous and EXP Realty is very famous, but mostly in the real estate world on, on all, just at scale in the United States, I'd, I'd say he's fairly well known too. Okay. And you and I are becoming really, really good friends with him. Um, that's it. That's all that, that I'm going to say. And we are having this conversation about uh, wealth building mm-hmm. and he was and, you know, that's something Julie and I have written, we've written about in our book. We talk about it in our podcast. And the reason I think originally we were so intrigued with the concept of wealth building was mostly because, A, we always thought that it was a mystery that someone gave you the secret scroll to, you know, once you reached a certain, you got invited to some certain club and certain powwow, all of a sudden you're now going to be given these secret code and how to actually accumulate, you know, we believed all that crap, like many of you guys still do, <laughs> but we mm-hmm. have believed it certainly, I'd say into our mid twenties and hoping that someone was going to drop a, you know, a big bunch of content on us that was going to allow us to finally see the road forward. And then eventually we came to realize that not only does nothing like that exist, but like most people don't, they don't even have a clue how to accumulate wealth. And if you can blame it on schools and education, you can blame it on um, social issues, you can blame it on how they're, you know, how they're raised or religious beliefs, or you can blame it on whatever you want to believe it, blame it on. Um, but the fact is, is that most people, even when they start earning a lot of money, and a lot of our podcast listeners and our friends at EXP Realty and just in the industry in a whole, some of them have gone from obscurity 
you know, to becoming multi, multi, multi millionaires, deca millionaires, yes. really. Mm -hmm. And yet they don't know how to save and, and, and build their wealth. And, uh, and I think that's interesting. You're about to say something. Yes. Well, you know, what I've noticed is a lot of agents and brokers have figured out how to make it, which, of course, is the first step. But they have yet to find out how to keep it and then how to make it grow. So it's it's like we spend all this energy trying to figure out how to do more deals and how to raise our average sale price and how to defend our commission, all these things. But not enough, in my opinion, not enough time is spent like, okay, what do you do next? How do right. you even manage that? Good for you for figuring out how to crank it out because that is a major um, you know, business maturity thing and, and skill and all that. That's fantastic. But I think too many people almost stall out there. And then they figure, I'm just supposed to keep on manufacturing it, money in, money out, money in, money out. And then they have lifestyle creep and it becomes even harder. Well, in sales, in a sales role, which is what real estate is, you're going to have those of, who generally rise to the top are people that are um, really good at selling. Duh, right? They have natural skills and abilities. And then in, when they you know develop business maturity, to your point, then they start overlaying that with real skills. So maybe they have natural energy and enthusiasm and then you overlay it with skills and then mm -hmm. business systems and, you know, boom, they're going to start the, the, there is a very, very, very clear, frankly, easy to follow path to accumulate, or not accumulate, but to, to generate a lot of revenue through selling real estate. I don't think it's that big of a mystery. It's no. not. No, it's we, very we, We've had thousands of agents that sure. have passed through our coaching business that have um, gone from nothing to maybe some of them, some cases becoming multi multi millionaires. You know those aren't parrots; those are some other kind of bird. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at the reflection. Yeah, and that one's got a big white head. Do you it's see definitely it? Definitely tropical, though. I hope they're not looking. Look him up in my bird book. I hope they're not looking at us thinking that we look like lunch. <laughs> I mean, that birds. that is a concern. I don't know. Yeah, it could I mean, be. You don't know. They're warning us about the rain. Yeah, maybe. Well, so the point being of all this is that there is no way, there is no shortcut to learn. To, there are shortcuts to, frankly, uh, learning how to earn it because there are lots of paths to follow. But when it comes to keeping it and accumulating it, that seems to be where, frankly, that is yet to be widely disseminated information. Or even if it were, I'm, I'm wondering, and I often wonder why it is that so few agents and people in general are willing to follow it. Because there are, like Anthony Robbins wrote a great book. I had forgotten about this, actually, and this guy was just talking about. He um, was telling me that the advice I was giving him was very similar to uh, Anthony Robbins' book. And I hadn't read his book before, but after I uh, heard him mention Anthony's book, I went and read a, a, a synopsis of it. Mm -hmm. And it was basically exactly what I was suggesting to this guy do as far as his own wealth accumulation. But the moral of the story is what I'm trying to tell you guys is in life in general, it's easier to make it. And well, it, it, not in general, it's way easier to make it than it is to keep it. And you have so many things that tr that will take your money from you. You obviously maybe have a lot of expenses or you have a lot of you know lifestyle creep. We can talk about all that stuff forever. But I really don't think that's the real pernicious part of the wealth destruction that happens um, and kills the potential for you guys to ever be financially independent, frankly. I think what happens a lot of times is you have your own psychological issues about being rich. And that's just the simplest way to say it. And Julie and I had to work through some of those are on our own. And frankly, I don't even want to talk about it anymore because I know that for most of you, you're going to agree. Yes, that's how I think. That's how I feel. Um, you know, when we talk about essentially if you were raised in a religious family and maybe your perspective on wealth and being rich and all that is skewed by, you know, misinterpretation of the, uh, you know, scripture and all that. But let's not even, again, deal with all of that. Some of you are going to be saying like, 
well, you know what, if you're, you know, I have this mindset of scarcity, whereas if you're earning it, that means you're taking away from somebody else. And people have written books and we've talked about it infinitesimally about, you know, those of you who have the scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset. Look, I'm sick of all that conversation because it doesn't do anything. All you guys do is say, yep, that's what I got, scarcity mindset, or I have the abundance mindset, or whatever, whatever. But your financial situation doesn't change. You still say poor, or you still say essentially a working rich person, which is another way of thinking about it. In other words, if you stop working, you'd no longer be rich. So for you to keep your affluence and your lifestyle, you have to actually keep on you know, slapping houses in your case. You following me in all this? So here's the conclusion that I've come to personally. And Julie, this is what I wanted to talk to you about a little bit today. Mm-hmm. And because frankly, I, I don't think you'll disagree with me, but it'd be interesting if you did. Sure. I don't think there's anything or any, anybody that's ever going to get most 99.9% of humans to move past their innate belief structures, whether the belief structures are working for them or against them. I don't think people are going, people are pretty much unchangeable at a point in their life. I think that's what I think. I think that you are mostly right about that. But I have seen examples of change. I could. But let me finish. You know, it. but I think by and large, innately, right. that's innately, the word. Yes, the key word right. I said is innate, right? Yeah. I, I think most people naturally don't even think that they're stuck. Right. They don't and, even look at it. But so, from a physiological perspective, why does why is it so hard to change to really make change? Because you have to have some level of conflict, either internally or externally or both. Physiologically. Yeah. Well, okay, that's true. Because really... Some level of consternation. Because it, That's psychological. If, if there weren't a level of discomfort, you would be doing it. Right. But that's psychological. Okay. I mean, physiological. Here's, here's my working theory. And like All I right. said, I hadn't prepared you for this, so... It's fine. Feel free to Go argue with it. me. But I actually think that neuropathways are, and especially as you get older, inelastic. So once you reach a certain age, and I don't think that age, that might even be single-digit age, right? Mm -hmm. You basically are who you are, and you think the way you think, and you're not going to change. Well, I would agree with you because I read several articles about this um, uh, where literally it is uh, in your brain, and there's a process that your brain goes through as you get older and older called pruning. And so what pruning is, is if you have the same thoughts over and over and over, that is quite literally making a a neural pathway in your brain. You keep on, and and when you do it repetitively, then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. This is similar to uh, muscle memory, right? Right. So like the more you run, the the easier it becomes and your legs get used to it. it, It's like you get it. Same thing with like learning piano and learning scales and playing guitar. You do it repetitively. You're reinforcing literally physically what you're doing. That's how you memorize things. Well, like Zoe's l- learning multiple languages, right? Yes, they're same sneak- thing. But you teach- have to practice it. She's learning, obviously, yes. English. That's right. And so, Spanish. And they're sneaking in other languages. That's right. They're doing some, some sign language and things. But it's the, repetitious of it, the repetition of it. Now, your brain can only handle so much, right? And hopefully you're taking care of it and you're doing things to enhance it. But what happens is the stronger those pathways get, your brain starts to let go of stuff it didn't need, Right. right? So if you have a repetitive thought, I'll always be broke, this is, you know, real estate is just money in, money out, this is just how it is, then that's what gets strengthened, right? You have to actually work on making a pathway to what you want. Right, so... Which requires effort. Again, physiologically, not even psychologically, because most most psychological stuff really is pseudoscience at the end of the day. Yes, I'm, ge- I'm giving you the literal science. Though, I know, exactly. Because I'm, I'm with you. I think right. there's a fair amount of BS to it, too. Because here, like, you look at David... David Doggins, Goggins, 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 yeah, you know, if you guys haven't read his book, it's called You Can't Hurt Me, Um, read the damn book, it's crazy, 
I think unless you're willing to make that level, and I mean crazy in the best ways, in case he's listening, I don't want him to fly down to Puerto Rico and kick my ass. <laughs> so, David, for the record, love you, brother. So, anyway. Crazy good. Crazy, crazy good. Crazy bad. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, unless you're willing to put your body through and your mind through you know those levels of torture, really, unless you're willing to do what he did to become the person he sure. became, I really don't think, and, and this is just from coaching agents mm-hmm. and just people in general, like, I mean, just think about it. This, I don't think you can ever change. That's what I think. Not fundamentally, I don't think people are ever going to change. And, and I know this is, Tim, you're a coach. You're supposed to be motivational. Yeah. I'm getting there, people. Trust yep. me. <laughs> Hold the line. I'll get there. Trust okay. me. We're, we're circling back. So it, most people will never, ever really do anything. Are you that different than you were when you were 15 or 16 or 12? Are you no, that different? I don't think about that. I'm not. I know I'm no, not. No, I've known you since you were 16. 16. So. No, and I'm definitely not. not. No, I mean the, the core core beliefs, core values, core yep. habits are all basically the same. But behavioral yeah, patterns, well, right? I, would say I that's mean, so, right. so the, the, whatever I was born with yeah. software wise, you know, it basically has changed and it's ebbed and it's flowed. what flow you to, do with it, though. Right. I mean, how you manage certain, like, I have to manage certain, like, I have a tendency towards being overly analytical about certain things. Like, I didn't know any of that when I was, say, 15. So. But did I lose being analytical? No, I still am. It's just the knowledge that you gain in your education about what to do about how you're programmed right. can change. So, right. Yeah, we're yeah, saying the some, same thing, basically. Yeah, okay, yeah, so basically. so coaching and mm-hmm. what we do for a living seems in conflict with what my belief is about change. I would disagree with you about that. Okay, but I would too, and that's where we're going. Okay. See how we're sharing a wavelength? Mm-hmm. Hey, can you go get your... Yeah. Okay, so... Um, Here's so I started out by telling you guys about this conversation I was having with with a guy that Julie and I are you know he, I can tell we we're going to become become very close with this him and his family and he's he's a wealthy person but he's going to become a rich person the difference is basically rich is where you have tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of dollars and right now he has single digit millions of dollars and it's, again I know some of you guys are thinking well, Tim what the hell I would love to have a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars. But the thinking I'm trying to share with you, the techniques and the and the tactics that I'm sharing with him um, are what Julie and I did and what we have learned from the culmination of a billion coaching calls, okay? So here's the point. Now, your guy, you guys are saying, Tim, obviously, he knows what the hell he's doing. He's already got millions of dollars. He doesn't actually know how to keep the money he's earning. He's spending it all. He is literally spending it all. He's spending it on essentially misappropriation of uh, how he's spending his money. And I'm not talking personally either. I'm talking business-wise. He's not spending it. He's Frankly, his tax situation is out of control. His business overhead is out of control. His The decisions he's making pertaining to um, how he thinks about money, There is he has an absolute uh, really – you know, I don't know how to describe it other than the, a discorrelative a, a belief structure around money and to the point where he says he doesn't care about it, I don't like it, I'm not comfortable with it, I've never been comfortable with it. Those are the types of things that he says. So why has he been able to accumulate? It's because, frankly, he's, uh, he is with EXP and he makes a lot of money from his revenue share. Well, he figured out the first part, which right. is how to make it. Exactly. But he hasn't yet figured out how to keep it because he doesn't know he thinks he has to change his thinking about how he thinks about money um, and 
he's basically our age, so the probability of him ever changing the way he thinks about money is about zero. Sure. And so ultimately, and I think this is where you were going in mm-hmm. your head, mm-hmm. ultimately he won't change the way he thinks about money. He'll always have a perverse relationship with money and how he thinks about money. He'll always have a, a relationship with money which will probably result in him never keeping it just because he doesn't really, you know, it's this strange cycle that many people, especially in real sure. estate, go through. Mm-hmm. Feast and famine, boom and bust. It's the cycle. Right. And of, they believe it's normal. It, well, they do. And, and then it's a you, habit. Right. And then you get caught in the echo chamber of exactly what you just said, the normalization. It's a Warren Buffett quote I'll never forget. It's so awesome. I mean, what does Warren Buffett say that's not worth repeating? <laughs> Very few things. But he said, um, Americans love to celebrate the comeback story. The guy or the gal that built it, built a big business, had millions of dollars, lost it all, and then built it back up again. Yeah. He said, I like to celebrate the person that built it, kept it, and built it to a higher level. Right. Not the person that basically had to essentially you know, ruin his life and then, or her life and then essentially recreate it again. But isn't that interesting? So how many of us have followed patterns throughout our lives where we think that's actually what we're supposed to do? That there's some sort of innate struggle that has to happen that's more than necessary for you to ever be rich where your money works for you and you no longer work for your money. And so this is where this conversation went with him uh, yesterday and the day before. And we're, so we we're talking about all these things and we're talking about like, I don't see myself this way or the other way or the, this way. So he didn't, he couldn't visualize what it would mean to be essentially be worth tens of millions of dollars if not hundreds of millions of dollars. He couldn't visualize what it meant to basically have, he, and he thought, it, the fundamental issue that he had with regards to his money, and though I didn't even bother you know, turning over this rock because there would have just been a deep well of other rocks we'd have to dig out before we got to anything, so I didn't even bring it up. But he obviously had a, uh, a battle alignment with his belief structure about what money truly is. And so let's start there. What is money? All money is. At the end of the day, whether you got it for, you know, digging a ditch for somebody or whether you got it because you sold a house for somebody, whether you got it because you you worked in a company and the company you worked for had a, uh, an IPO and you made a ton of money. All money is, it's a direct, hopefully you guys cannot hear that. (laughs) That's horrible. Can't go away. Can't go away. Oh, wow. That's loud. Anyway, they probably can't hear it. So it's just torturing us. Sounds weird to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, I don't even remember. What was the it? definition of money? What is All right, so the money, money. Thank you, Julie. Do you think we'll ever have independent brains? I think we have a Not shared anymore. brain. No. Not anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. I know we're physiologically. Uh, yeah, see, I can't even finish Psych- my sentence. Thank you. Conti- exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Yes. Um, so, what was I saying again? <laughs> what is the definition <laughs> of money? What's the point of it? I know. It's kidding. So, money, the amount of money you have, is a direct correlation or mirroring of the number of people that you helped. That's it. Yep. That's it. It's yes, a, it's but you do have to take it past that because one could argue that, especially in our friend's case, that, you know, maybe maybe this person gets that and has figured out how to help a lot of people. That's certainly true. Yeah, but he didn't see it that way. Right. Well, so, that's true. You've, you've got to work on the So, so he's going to make, he'll it. make probably, I don't even want to say, he'll make between 5 and $10 million next year, okay? Mm-hmm. And he has, uh, he doesn't see the fact that he's earning all that money as a direct correlation between uh, the amount of money he's receiving and the number of people that he's helping. He doesn't, now intellectually he understood that, but on a core spiritual, physiological, you know, he doesn't understand that. That the reason that he has that money is because he's helped enough other people 
in you know obviously mostly in financial uh, financial motivational ways and that's the reason he's accumulating that amount of wealth but unless he cures his belief structure about the retention and his obligation to help that money grow then he's not going to keep it he'll be he won't he'll he'll basically in 5 or 10 years he'll be completely broke that's the cycle that people follow unless you put a system in place which is what my point was and I think that's what you were going to say too yep. that directly you know, intercedes with your faulty thinking. And if you, and so the mistake he was making and many of us make in life, and this is a, if you want, if you're looking for a hack, I'm about to give you one, is thinking that you can and should change your thinking. Don't change your thinking. It's going to take too much work. It's going to take too much procrastination. Mm -hmm. It's going to take too much hoping that you hop into across the right book or the right person to give you the right set of advice. And they weren't just essentially, you know, they they weren't skewed in the way that they were trying to you know fix your problem and their own suggestion to fixing your problem wasn't equally as skewed. In other words, they maybe had confirmation bias in their way or you know or maybe they were just frankly trying to sell you something. All this stuff is true. So the probability of him being able to ever fix his financial um, thinking, I think, was is zero. Um, again, this is from a core level, not from a, a intellectual level. Intellectually, he knew what he was supposed to do, sure. but he had all these mooring lines that are held that were holding him back with regards to, I think, almost the. I literally think it's physiological. It's that yeah, brain elasticity and, and thing. He knows, but he hasn't done anything about it. And I would agree with you because, um, probably, you know, you can modify how you think about it a little bit, but you're always going to be fighting with your innate pre-programming. Right. But what you can change is your actions. Or you can systematize your. Right. Your and that's plan. what I told him. You don't have to even fully understand it. You just have to want it bad enough to change what you're doing about it. Um, yes, but you have to be draconian. You have to be brutal with yourself, and you have to understand that your feelings and how you think are completely screwed up. You have to you have to completely wait. And this is where the ego creeps in because your mm-hmm. ego doesn't want you to admit that, right? Your ego wants. Oh, hold on, Tom. I'm not completely screwed up on how I think about. Let's just say money. Well, then why aren't you rich? Right. Consider how much money you've earned. I don't know how old you are. You know, you're 40, you're 50, you're 30. You might even only be 20, but you might be in some of you. A lot of you are going to be in your 60s. Add up the total accumulated amount of money that you've earned since you earned your first dollar. It's millions of dollars. I don't care. It's millions. Yep. Why haven't you? Why don't you have more to show for it? Why? What happened to all the money? You spent it all. You spent it voluntarily and involuntarily. Right. It got gone. <laughs> That's what happened. It got gone. Now, so if you had a. Uh, a plan that was going to essentially make it so that one day you will be rich where your money works for you no longer work for your money, you would not essentially be probably on the outside six bad months from being broke. That's the reality that most of you guys are going to experience your entire lives. And that's the reality that most everyone on the planet Earth experiences is is they trust themselves to know how to do something that frankly – they don't, or emotionally they can't because they won't allow themselves to do it. it what are you thinking? You've got a, you yeah, got a look no, on your face. That, that makes sense. You know, I think. Well, what I was thinking is, this is not a real estate professional issue. This is a humanity issue for sure. Because some of them will think, well, you know, I'm just in the wrong. But it's true about weight, right? It's, it's true, true about, about everything. It's true about whether or not sure. you. Uh, you know, a lot of people burn through relationships because they don't think they deserve love. For example, yeah. You know, but again, I hate the life coachy stuff. Frankly, I shouldn't I know, say that, but too. I do. But so, so yeah. you, you know, the, a lot of that, that touchy-feely stuff, the reason I have disdain for it personally is because most of the time it gets you nowhere except talking more about the, the – the, uh, it's never getting to a, an actual resolution of the problem. It's a perpetuation of 
talking about the solution to the problem that never ends. And that's what most of the pseudo-psychology mindset I, stuff yeah, is. It's forever it also, talking about it, never actually saying, yeah. I got that one licked, I'm moving on. You yeah. guys get the difference what I'm talking about it here? It encourages victimhood, too. Exactly. But there's always something to work on. There's always something wrong with you. There's always something that's just misprogrammed about you. And, you know, I think sometimes they even go down the, maybe we can drug it out of you. It's just like, how about you just take action to fix the problem? Exactly. Why don't you, know you just saying? wave the white flag and say, I, am, I do not have the intellectual, you know, maybe spiritual, psychological, physiological fortitude. And fortitude can be translated as guts. Fortitude can tr- be translated as, frankly, intellectual. Maybe you're just, frankly, maybe you're just below average IQ. Okay? You might be a really, really good salesperson, and you might be good at people, you know, like making people like you. You might be the, you know, fortunately, real estate doesn't require a high IQ, right? It doesn't. And I'm sure, what, statistically, 50% of you guys listening right now have a lower than average IQ. That is a, a, that is a fact. Well, that's how you make an average. Right, exactly. 50% lower, 50% exactly. higher. Exactly. To get personal, I might be one fact. of you based on the fact that I can't even know how to <laughs> sufficiently explain the word. <laughs> exactly. Some days are better than others. Depends what the caffeine saturation exactly. level is. You know, I'm 50. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, so ultimately, the only thing you can do is you and, – and, so, and the, the fallback always is – and have you noticed this, my dear? Mm-hmm. Is that people like to go down the feelings path. And when anyone ever starts talking to you about your feelings and emotions, 100% of the time, whatever's at the end of that rainbow or the end of that conversation is manipulation. Now, not manipulation innately is not a bad thing. I manipulate Zoe every single day to try to, you know, do various things that are good for her. And some days are easier than others. I mean, some days it requires me threatening to throw a Barbie to our French bulldog, Max, who loves to pull the heads off of her Barbies. Yes, he's a Barbie murderer. He's a Barbie murderer. His, I mean, he is, he is literally a Barbie sociopath, psychopath. <laughs> he is. But she's also <laughs> learning to negotiate back. Yes, she's learning. And she's, yeah. So, yes, that's manipulation, right? And it's okay to be manipulated. But you've got to manipulate yourself. This is where this all goes. You actually have to overtly manipulate yourself. And you cannot trust that you're smart enough you cannot trust that you know enough you cannot trust that you have enough innate horse mental horsepower to think through things you have just got to wave the white flag and chances are if you're listening to this podcast if you're being really honest with yourself you have gotten to the point in your life where you're maybe good at maybe if you're lucky two or three things and guess what the the friend i was referring to he's good at probably really good at two or three things and he's not and i've had other people i had someone last week Podcast listener. Again, long history of being successful, multiple brokerages. This guy was 59. He has um, basically he has listened to our show for a long time, told me he started out listening and he didn't like me because <laughs> he didn't like what I was saying, but he still listened probably because he thought Julie was cute. Who knows? So anyway, he listened, he listened, and he bought our book. And anyway, so I'm having this conversation with him. And on the surface, this guy is seems like a multimillionaire. He's in, you know, a very ritzy part of the country. I know he's a podcast listener, so I don't want to make him think I'm talking about confidential conversations, so I won't. Um, but he has had multiple real estate offices with a very, you know, fancy real estate brand and but he has not accumulated any money. And he's come to the realization that his real estate brokerages aren't worth anything because they're not. They're worth nothing. Real estate brokerages are worth nothing. And, um, you know, his margins were less than 3%. All these normal problems that Julie and I talk about. Being a broker, bottom line, just makes you broker. And he wanted to talk with me about, essentially, fixing the way he thought about money. Okay? That's what the premise of the conversation was. And, and I, I told him, I said, nobody's going to fix the way you think about money. It is what it is. 
Um, it's similar to you know, I'm five nine, right? I weigh 160 pounds. It's similar to if I decided that I wanted to somehow um, be an NBA basketball player. I'm you know legally blind to my right eye. So it's similar to if at 50 years old, legally blind to my right eye. And if I decide I want to become a fire pilot, I mean, these things are just not going to happen. Well, right? remember last week we talked about smart goals have to be realistic and attainable. Right. So fail on that one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? but so that's but, the thing. But you have to accept that this is how it is and work within your own parameters. Exactly. Okay. And you have to accept you have limitations. All of us do. Some of us have like, you know, I imagine an Albert Einstein was good at probably, I mean, a hell of a lot more than three things, I'm guessing, yeah. but probably not more than Five or six. But you can't have yeah, a... Yeah, Da Vinci. You don't have a huge list. Elon Musk. That guy sure. is just straight up annoying. <laughs> That's right. I know. I mean, he is. He, he's sort of like, you don't hear from him for six months, you know, and then all of a sudden he comes out and he says, I've discovered something or I've created something. God, I read about something this morning that he's freaking... Evidently, he was... Like, he, he distracts people by digging a, a tunnel and, you know, under LA or whatever, and I just wanted to dig a tunnel. Or he comes out with a new pickup truck, and then all of a sudden you, you realize he's been, you know, he's building... also working on the vaccine. With uh, He's partnered with a bunch of companies to be able to, I don't know, if it was 3D print some part of Oh, yeah, of yeah, it. that's what I read. It's like, I what the hell? I can't explain it, but it's like, okay, well, that's what he's been up to. And then I think, I suck. I, I barely <laughs> got anything done today. <laughs> right? Know? It's like, how can, how can this be? Yeah. But then I remind myself, he is one of the first... Deca trillionaires or something? I forget exactly. I mean, it's a lot of zeros because figuring all this stuff out, which he obviously has. He's not a tri- he, he's not a trillionaire. He's a what's he's name? worth? No, what was it? Uh, Seventy billion or something? But you're thinking it's of enough. Apple's the first uh, multi-trillion-dollar company, and uh, Jeff Bezos is now the world's richest man. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's on that list. Yeah. Well, all right. My, my point being that, you know, he's he's got the freedom to, to dabble in such things, which are pretty incredible. Yeah. So if you're successful in real estate, chances are, um, you know, you're going to be somebody who likes people, maybe likes real estate, maybe doesn't, doesn't matter really, but you're, you're good with people. You're, you know, you enjoy that interaction. You enjoy selling. Maybe you have a competitive streak. So there's certain innate things that you will... Uh, if you rise to the top, you're going to have to have those qualities or at least you're going to have to find those qualities within you and try to develop them. But I'm telling you right now, if you have none of those qualities, if you're not energetic, enthusiastic, if you don't like people, if you don't like real estate, if you don't like selling, if you don't like all these things, you're probably going to fail. Just there's too many things going against you and you need to find something that's more suited to the person that you are. And don't think you're a failure just because this night might not be the right fit for you. There's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so in, along those lines, it's the it's the emotions of life that ultimately gives you the greatest levels of fulfillment, but also gives you the greatest ultimate betrayal in your life. And let me explain. Do you know where I'm going with that? Probably. <laughs> well, so if I were to trust my my emotions uh, about money when we were in our early 20s and we've been married for 29 years and two days in yep. two days, we'll have been married for 29 years. So in my early 20s, with my, you know, essentially no knowledge about money, and yes, Julie and I have, you know, I thought about this. What? Do you realize that since the first year in real estate, since we started selling real estate, our first year in real estate, we earned over $300,000. And do you realize, and I don't don't know if you've ever thought about this, Hmm. but we never earned less since in over I three know. decades. I do remind myself of that. Sometimes. Isn't that amazing? Yes. I mean, so we obviously made a decision that was a good yeah. fit for us, right? Yes. And a lot of these guys are going to do the same thing. For sure. And, you know, 
$300,000 back when you and I were in our early 20s was well, a crap ton then. of money. Absolutely. Uh, but it's still a crap ton of money. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. yes. I mean, so that's just kind of funny to think about. I know. Yeah. I, I mean, well, there, and we sold over a hundred houses. We, yeah, that's right. We sold over a hundred houses and yes, you did the math right. Listeners, the average commission was three grand. Most of the houses we were selling were like a hundred grand. Those and I those, remember, sa- I remember a lot of them were less than three grand too. And a lot of the, we were buying houses back then too. And, and those houses now get this the houses that we were buying and selling that were selling for like, what was our first house? We'd be paid for it. The first one we bought. And that house now is probably worth two twenty, two thirty. Yeah. That's insane. It is insane. That makes no sense. And it's like three square feet. <laughs> I think the garage was bigger than that. Well, that's the reason Why we bought it. Great garage. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... It is amazing, though. So, again, if I were to essentially say... And this is what most people do. They don't know anything about money. They don't ever think to start saving and accumulating it. They don't know how to do it. They don't read books about it. They're not intellectually curious about it. They're, nobody that they come across is intellectually curious about it or gives them any really good advice. Maybe they come across a financial planner or it, you know somebody who coins themselves a financial planner, and they end up buying some you know bullshit securities because a financial planner was somebody that was making commission and saw you as you know obviously a financial dummy, and they thought, well, I'll sell you into something that an annuity, or I'm going to sell Whoever you into a, a whole life insurance policy. They're going to sell you into things that pay, yeah, or they're going to sell you into a structure where they get 3% of your uh, portfolio value, whether it goes up or goes down. And you think, well, this is normal. This is what I'm supposed to do. And you turn the key on that you know, door and you l- walk away and you just hope and pray everything works out, right? And then maybe you throw money into it occasionally. Maybe you don't. And you did end up where most other people end up, which basically, you know, a couple decades down the road, not ever having uh, really accomplishing your financial goals. Why? Why does that happen? Because ultimately, it's you essentially did not take the time to really understand that there are fundamentals in which you can follow to be successful in life. There's like Julie and I were talking about, and we are going to loop all these things in. I promise you listeners, we are, we talk about sometimes like, um, people don't like we're coming up on the holidays, right? And people have this weird reaction to Merry Christmas in parts of the country. And I don't get that. I I really don't understand it. Why, why are some people acting offended? Because they're not really offended, but why are some people acting offended when you say Merry Christmas? Am I taking something yeah. away from somebody by saying Merry Christmas? I don't. And, you know, if they're not a Merry Christmas or maybe they say Happy Hanukkah back to you or maybe just don't say anything. Or right. Say, or Happy Holidays, happy right? Happy Holidays. Yeah. Why do we have to be all wound up about that? But that's my point. So yeah. people are wound up and they don't know why they're wound up. Yeah. So they've been manipulated. It's definitely true. They've been manipulated. People don't stop yeah. and say why I'm if I'm living in these parts of the country where, you know, that's the it's not okay to say Merry Christmas, right? There's parts of the country, guys, where it's not okay to open the door for a lady. Right, I've had that happen where Julie and I've been in parts of the country where you open the door. I'll op- I mean, I'll open the door for Julie, and obviously she says thank you. But if I open the door for somebody else, I've had women t- be well, offended. They take it the wrong way. Be offended by that. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. You know, it's it's so well, look. Well, why I don't get political? Though. Right, we're not getting political. But I'm saying, is that a is that a thought through reaction, well, so or is that just an emotional reaction I, that's betraying yes. them? And I think that it also points to: Are you? actually in control of your thoughts or are you just succumbing to whatever is culturally foisted upon you right and so that comes down to being um you know are you being a good human are you being an actively conscious human who's in control of your stuff uh of your psyche or are you just kind of wandering out there in the wilderness and you know what's what's interesting to watch right now is that sometimes it takes something really huge or catastrophic unfortunately for people to like come to and say oh well maybe that's not right maybe why am i believing that i actually don't think that you know? i i think 
I appreciate what I you think said. For some people, it takes something dramatic happening. But, but you're dealing with the one percent again. Perhaps. I think for the most part, when you see a mass change in opinion or behavior, mm-hmm. it's not because it's done on an individual a, a basis. No, it's it's done more. It's, it's the collective unconscious, yeah. or it's basically people it's tribed up and they're following a herd. Yeah, speaking that's trendy. it. It's trendy, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's not people sitting around having yeah. conversations no, where they're asking. Usually. No, people don't have conversations like this. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. No, they don't. People don't have conversations about why they think the way they think. They just think the way they think is the way they think. But they don't realize the way they think actually is ultimately what's betraying them. And the way they think is predicated on an emotional response, not on an intellectual response, which goes back to my friend, which yes. is, you know, okay. who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so here, here's the suggestion I gave to him because he wanted me to coach him. He wanted, well, not coach formally. We're friends, right? You don't coach friends. Um, but he wanted me to help him through his, his financial you know, his issue, because he knows he's not going to end up well if he doesn't change his behavior. And he thought he had to change it on a, you know, a root level, to which I told him, and he was relieved. And I told you guys this now the fourth time, you're not going to change the way you think, especially about money. You're not. So stop trying. You're always going to be screwed up the way you think about money. Now you have to put a system in place that basically is smarter than you are, that's non-emotional, to basically force yourself to accumulate money. And here it is. You ready for it, listeners? You ready? Okay. You know, I, I think I'm going to string it out. I am. I'm going to string it out. I'm going to tell you guys how Julie and I figured this out, okay? True story. We are in a – Julie and I were – and again, this is going to date us. um, Howard Britton stars back in the 90s. And there was a guy that was there, and I'll remember his name in a second, who was an honest-to-God billionaire. Now, I did not know him personally, um, and he was – I think when Julie and I were in her 20s, he was probably in his 50s or his 60s. Um, Jim Duvall. That's yes. who his name was. So those of you guys who are from that era, you'll remember the name Jim and Marianne Duvall. They're very famous uh, in Florida. Jim, and many of you guys do or don't know this, uh, he owned part of the Florida Marlins. He owned uh, just all kinds of things that are just amazing investments. <laughs> he owned a uh, gas, uh, natural gas line that was coming out of Alaska. He owned it. You know, how cool is that? Talk about a prime piece of real was estate. He the one that owned all the walnut trees? Yeah, he owned walnut yeah. trees. He told me he told me once he owned a huge forest of walnut trees and that he just bought randomly as an investment. Uh, and he bought in Canada. And he just, just ridiculous, huge thousands, if not tens of thousands of acres. But he said when he was telling me that when walnut veneer started to become trendy again, you know, really dark mm-hmm. veneer. He said people would go in there and steal his walnut trees. So he had to go and put a, a security around his huge walnut forest uh, in the yeah. form of like alarms on these trees. So way up in the trees, there would be the alarms that these trees sensed uh, the tree being, you know, vibrated in a certain way. I don't know. I didn't get into them. I'm only guessing, but you guys get what I'm saying. So he had come, him and his wife had come from essentially the same sort of financial obscurity that Julie and I did. No money. No real reason to believe that there'd ever be any wealth accumulation, you know, Didn't inherit it. poor for life, basically. Yeah. That was the, you know, the caste that we are in, middle class, middle class for life, basically. And he was the same. And he was telling me, so let me go back to the Howard thing. So we're, I'm on this panel and we're in front of this. I don't know how many people were in the room. Probably wasn't a thousand. It was hundreds. And we were talking about a similar topic to what we're talking about now on this podcast, which is wealth accumulation. So I'm sitting on this panel, and I remember some of the other stars that were up there. That's what Howard called us, Howard stars, right? You are hand-selected from the real estate industry as being some sort of real standout in the industry. And as a Howard star, you were, you know, basically it was at the time, it was about the highest, I think it was the highest honor in real estate, really. I think it was. 
It was the coolest party to go to, that's for sure. Definitely. Met the really fun people. Yep. Still friends with a lot of them today. Yeah, and famous names. The names you guys know. Diana Kokoska, Sean Kokoska, Tony DeCello, you know, uh, all the Keller Williams people. They're all, you know, circulating in the Howard ranks. So that's, you know, that's where a lot of this, anyway, I, I won't digress, but the history of oh, ex- essentially what you guys are experiencing now in real estate, a lot of those, the teams and the branding and all these things, they were all started during that era at the Howard Brenton events. That's where all those ideas really took hold. So we were um, mostly listening, rarely participating because we didn't really have much to say, but we were mostly listening and learning at those at these private masterminds. And then Howard would do, I think, two or three of these conventions every year. And there were star retreats, or no, they were um, whatever they were. There were conventions, right? And then he'd have the stars run it. And so we're in this room and I'm on this panel and there's four or five other stars that are up there. We're on stage and we're answering questions about, again, about wealth accumulation. And the stars that were sitting next to me, they're all like, there was two mics up there. And like I said, there were maybe five of us, maybe four. And, and the stars were all, the, the, they're all, I remember they're sitting to the left of me. They're, I'm sorry, they're sitting to the right of me. They're all basically fighting for the microphone because they like the attention. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And so they're answering their questions, trying to top each other with regards to fancy, overly wrought sort of mindset approaches to wealth accumulation. It sounded like it was basically one motivational poster quote after another. The, no real, nothing substantial. And it was, and I'm, I did not mention any names, so I'm hopefully not offending anybody. Most of what they were saying was bullshit. And I knew enough about money to know it was bullshit because they weren't really answering the questions that these people were. The nature of the question was, how do I accumulate wealth? How do I make it so that I'm not just beholden to selling real estate the rest of my life? How do I make it so one day, you know, I'm rich where my money works for me and, and I no longer have to work for my money? And none of these stars knew how to answer the questions. They'd say things like, start a brokerage, buy some rental properties, all the conventional normal things that people say, but no real substantial content being passed along, being disseminated. If I were in the audience, I would have been disappointed because I would have felt like they were holding something back that they knew and they weren't going to tell me. But the truth is they were holding nothing back. They just didn't know what to say. That's yeah. the reality of it. And so some, one of the stars gave this rather long diatribe dissertation on being rich. And it was, again, a lot of touchy-feely mindset stuff. And then I hadn't said anything the whole time. It was the last, this last question. And then um, Jim Duvall had walked into the room maybe five or 10 minutes before. And Jim always stood out because Jim wore a, he looked like a cowboy basically without the cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't dress nice particularly. He wore jeans. He wore a plaid shirt. He looked just like a guy from Indiana. Guy. Yeah. He looked like a guy from Indiana. And that's what he was. Mm-hmm. So Jim's in the back of the room, and Jim then grabs a mic, and that's where the questions were coming from, the people in the audience. And then he says, he asked this question. He said, what is rich? And um, now remember, these stars had been basically beating each other over the head with these microphones to try to, uh, you know, one-up themselves with regards to basically their fancy quips to try to, you know, out-impress people with their, you know, zen-like uh, understanding of money. I mean, that's in essence what was going on, a lot of bullshit, you know, and it was kind of an idea fest. I, I was there. I it was. It was. And, it was very but, random stuff. Very random, right? Not, not, well, it's, and the reason is because, again, they didn't know how to do it. They weren't doing it. So how did they know what to say? Sure. And so he asked me that. He asked that question. And I, at the end of it, I, then I, no one else is grabbing a mic. Nobody wanted to answer Jim Duvall. And I didn't know it was Jim Duvall until afterwards. The other stars all knew who it was. And they knew this guy was famous for basically – um, embarrassing uh, people who are, as he said, tall hat, no cattle. And he's the one I learned that phrase from. 
So he would wait for someone to say something dumb and step in it. And then he would basically, in a very passive but direct way, point out the fact that what the person just said was bullshit. And he would do it in really one or two line quips. Eloquently. Eloquently, but effectively. And so when he was in that room and then he asked that question, none of these stars wanted to answer the question. They all knew he was setting them up. And he was. Because he had listened to enough of their bullshit that I'm sure... He was like running to cut through it for the sake of the people in the audience. He wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. He was not a big ego guy. He just basically, in his mind, I just, in retrospect, could sense that he had enough, right? You know, he was, he's going to have to, there had to be at least one little, as Howard used to say, pearl that came Mm -hmm. out of that, you know, two hour long thing talking about wealth that was actionable. And so he asked the question, what is rich? All these Howard stars basically turned white as a sheet. No one wanted to grab the mic. I remember sitting there, looking straight out in the audience, just waiting for this whole session to be over so I could go off and do something else. And then I remember looking down this little table at these other people, and they're all like, nobody's grabbing for the mic. And you have to rem- you have to um, just see in your mind how comical that experience was because <laughs> it really was. So I grabbed the mic because, you know, it was weird. Again, I didn't know who it was. And I simply said this, Rich is where your money works for you. And you no longer have to work for your money. That's all. That's all I said. I didn't, I didn't add to it. I didn't subtract from it. That was it. Meeting was over. People clapped. And then before, normally after those sessions, you get mobbed on the stage from people in the audience. They just want to ask you personal questions or, I mean, believe it or not, they'll ask for autographs and crazy stuff like that. But so uh, the, before the mob formed and came up on this little stage we were on, it's more of a you know, large podium, um, the, other, the other Howard stars, they started saying to me, Tim, that was an amazing answer. Do you know who that I was? That. Tim, yeah. I can't believe you said that. That was so brilliant. I go like, what? What's the big deal? And, and then they said, Tim, that was Jim Duvall who asked that question. Okay. All right. So I kind of knew who he was. because we, we had heard his name before, but yeah. I don't think we'd ever met him. People were fearful of him. Yeah. Because he was, he was the, op- the absolute, you know, bullshit detector. I could tell you guys so many funny stories about him and his wife going to those events. And he would he would just kind of walk around and he would just look for people that were full of shit. And he would just drop a truth bomb on them, mm-hmm. watch to see how they reacted, watch to see them struggling to form the new neuro pathways, then walk away. You could tell he was entertaining himself, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. so that happened. Now, I didn't see Jim again from that event. And then one day, not too long after the event, it was maybe a couple months, truthfully, I get this random call, random call from Jim Duvall. He just calls me out of the blue. He got my phone number from um, Amy Stair, who ran Howard's business, and um, he just called me out of the blue. And he had, and I had a very short conversation. Um, I don't even remember what it was about. I don't remember. It, but then randomly, he would just call me. I never called him. I, he, he wouldn't leave a voicemail. I, rec- I came to recognize his phone number. This is back when cell phones were, you know, it was literally a, a dial pad. Ding, ding, mm-hmm. ding. I'm kidding. But, you know, and I would get these random calls he from him. He basically adopted you. He intellectually adopted you, I think. Yeah, but not even, I don't know, adopting is overstating it. But he, I think he was, uh, in, he was at least somewhat... Uh, he was intrigued that you got it, especially because at that point, I think you were probably still 20-something. Yeah, I think also he was, I think, oh, well, I was very respectful of the fact that he showed any interest in me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I was going to cherish whatever moments he was going to give me. So hopefully I could, you know, pick from the knowledge tree. Because clearly this guy, unlike all of our yeah. peers, were, was not full shit. Right. So that was well, the attraction well. that I had to him, yeah. And so I remember asking him, and I asked, I like to ask him simple questions because, again, I'm probably, you know, I'm, I'm average at best intellectually. 
you know, at least that's what I tell myself. So I like to ask them simple questions because those simple questions then would help me basically. I knew that they'd help form the, you know, they'd be in the formulation of building financial building blocks. So I asked them a very basic question. And this was at this time, Julie and I had been in real estate for maybe, I don't know, three years, two years. And we'd already earned in commissions well over a million dollars. And I know, and I was looking at how much money we'd earned and I, and I can still remember it actually, and how much money we'd accumulated through investing and through real estate. And it was disproportionate. In other words, the amount of money that we were earning in my mind, in my little rudimentary 20 something year old mind, we should be farther down the wealth building road than we were. And so I knew I was doing something wrong and accountants and financial planners and all these people, I had quickly come to realize absolutely knew nothing about wealth accumulation. They were there. An accountant is not there to make you rich. He's there to help you file your taxes. Most financial planners are not there to make you rich. They're there to basically get you to believe that they're going to make you someday financially comfortable, some distance off in the future, when hopefully you're alive enough to appreciate and enjoy it, which, you know, there you go. And they're going to charge you 2 or 3% just to basically uh, look at your money in an account and send you statements. And then when you call them, they're going to tell you all these you know, intellectually you know, smart sounding things. And because you're financially stupid, you're not going to know whether or not they're lying to you or just telling you something to, pl- to, uh, something to placate you to get you to put in your annual $25,000 or $50,000. Does this all sound familiar to you guys? Okay, so that's what I'd quickly come to realize. Um, and so I asked Jim, I said, Jim, how did you and Marianne become as wealthy as you were? Because it was well known that he was a billionaire. This was back when a billionaire was a rare thing, right? Um, and so he told me that what he started to do with his wife is they'd been married, uh, you know, when they were young too, and they had had a bunch of kids, the whole thing. As he said, he was peeling off, as simple as this is, 10% of every dollar that they earned. And as they, and they lived a very modest lifestyle, they never lived as, you know, people from the Midwest will be familiar with this term, high on the hog, mm-hmm. right? Something my dad used to say and something Jim also said. He never lived high on the hog. And that being that, you know, he's eaten a lot of hooves for a long time. But what he was doing is he was able to keep his personal burn rate low and he was able then to save cash. And then he was able to buy assets, with the money he saved. And over time, the assets, uh, the asset accumulation started to compound. He and his wife bought and sold farmland. And I told you about some of the other things he told me about, um, you know, just crazy things. Other things he mentioned to me, which you'd think, well, how the hell did you even get that? I remember actually asking him how he got the financial opportunities that he did. And I said, do you go looking for them? He said, no. He said, when you have money, the opportunities come looking for you. Ah, there was. It's funny how you remember like all. Oh, I remember exactly. They're such pearls as. As Howard would say. Well, where do you, where do you, you freaking know, hear this? I know, especially when you're sub 30 and like barely into your career. You know? Yeah, we were like 24, well, 25, me, 26. That was, was the real estate gods intervening. Like, yeah. Keeping us on the right path. But see, I was, see, there's no, there's nothing in my financial DNA or my, anything that would have basically mm-hmm. uh, prepared Julie and I to, well, yes, maybe earn a lot of money because that's some, we, you know, we chose the right career. There's that. And we, we're the right, you know, everything we the gifts that god gave us oh, you know i think coincided and worked perfectly inside real estate i think that's kind of obviously true and a lot of you guys are experiencing that yourselves or will experience it um but nothing in our combined you know backgrounds in nothing from our upbringing would have ever in a billion years led to us accumulating frankly the amount of uh, wealth that we've accumulated over the past 29 years nothing had it not been people like jim intervening with us ah so what did i learn 10% Okay, what I learned, have a low burn rate. And a lot of you guys have been listening to us. You bought Harris Rules, our book, your coaching clients. You know this is where all these you know, these these thoughts came from. Seems like common sense, doesn't it? It's called it is because it is common sense. So 
after you essentially start earning more, you then try not to increase your overhead. And that's the mistake most of you guys make. You have lifestyle creep, as Julie says. Lifestyle creep eats away at your potential investment money. And the next thing you know, you're earning some cases hundreds of thousands, some cases millions of dollars per year. But because you've never done what Jim said and told us to do, and that's what we did, is save the money off the top because you never have done that. Maybe you've heard of it, but you've never done it. Um, you've never, and you never will accumulate it because that's the only way to freaking do it. <laughs> it is. Honest to God, people. That's it. I, I cannot even name. I, well, maybe there's two or three coaching clients or people we've known who have ever saved it any other way. Yeah, you have to force yourself to do it. Right. One, a, one is your client, yeah. Rob, because he came from a different right. place. Okay. One was a coaching client we had who inherited a big commercial brokerage from her mom. Well, we've had a lot I of mean, coaching clients that are very but, wealthy. But compared to the total number of right. people that have coaching calls, hundreds of thousands oh, of yeah. them. Oh, yeah. It's 1%. I would say 1% has saved or gotten ahead or moved the needle any other way other than the forced minimum standard of 10%. Right. Including us. Right. That's right. And so what Jill when when I pass this information along to her, when we take a, we get a commission check, and we lived in a state with a lot of freaking taxes in Ohio, mm-hmm. and she would take that commission check after we you know um, got paid, uh, you know Remax would pay us, and we'd take the commission check. Julie would take the commission check from Remax, and then she would write two checks against that commission check. So she'd do a deposit when she went to the bank, not just to deposit the commission check, but also to deposit. Um, 10% that would go into the savings. So if the commission check was 5000 she was going to put in $500 into a savings account and she was going to put in 20% into a tax savings account. That's what she did every time she deposited checks. Now, yes, we could have done it electronically, but we didn't trust ourselves to do it electronically because we knew we were financial idiots and we knew that we'd be more inclined to spend the money. So we had to do it so that we had a literal system. And she would write three checks. And many of you guys who've been with us for a long time, you do the same thing. Because guys, guess what? That really does work. Now, moving forward, as you essentially, if you keep your lifestyle, if you avoid lifestyle creep, then you're going to be in the position to basically purchase more assets. And those assets then eventually will make you single digit millionaires, multimillionaires, decamillionaires, and you can go on up from there. So going back to um, the guy I was telling you guys about, as Julie said, he got his financial house in order to the point where he's now accumulating He's earning a lot of money, but he's not saving the amount of money, and he's following the same behavioral patterns that he did um, before. And again, I'm not going to talk out of church here, but it didn't end well for him, as it doesn't for most people in real estate who earn, mo- who earn a lot of money. Most people in real estate who earn a lot of money will end up not paying taxes, will end up not saving it, and will end up broke. Um, and because, again, they're not disciplined enough because they think they trust themselves. They think they, their feeling tells them, their emotions tell them that they're going to be able to do it. Or as my dad used to say, some big eagle is going to fly over one day and you know drop a big wad of cash on you. It never works out that way. So you've got to develop, and this is all in our book, Harris Rules, by the way. Um, and you can get it on Barnes & Noble. You can get it on any bookstore. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at you know Target. You can get it at Walmart. It's a fa- for sale everywhere. It's becoming one of the fastest selling and, and best selling real estate books for real estate agents of all, of all time, so we're told. So there it is. Go get the book. You have to put a plan in place. You have to not trust yourself. You have to not trust your emotions. You have to assume that you're going to always have a screwed up relationship with money. You will. You have to put a system in place that's going to force you to save it, that's going to force it to compound for you. And if you do those things, you will eventually, 
your the, essentially the system that you put in place will eventually be able to uh, outpace your stupid. In other words, it's going to accumulate enough money that you'll have enough money that your lack of um, sophistication, financial sophistication, or willingness to even develop the financial sophistication will be outpaced by the amount of wealth you have. In other words, you'd have to make a lot of really dumb mistakes to blow <laughs> through your money, right? Yes, and I love those coaching calls. Yeah. When, when our clients say, I have never had this kind of savings before. Right. And it's because, you know, two years ago, begrudgingly it was so painful to put away that 10 percent in the beginning right and then you know maybe six months later they started 15 percent once they got used to it and they had the habit and they started actually watching their money instead of just rolling the dice that something would be done you'd have that extra closing that would be your savings you know i love those coaching calls because they're they're just so i mean i guess on some level i my ego loves it because they're so appreciative of of something that we you know got yeah you feel do. like you're making a contribution yeah, absolutely. you're in alignment so that's probably yeah. okay but I just love it when they're like, you're not going to believe this. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So look, if you're not rich now at your point, you're probably never going to be unless you put something that's absolutely draconian in place. It, with consistency. It's with not consistency. just when you feel like you right. can do it. I remember going to the bank, especially the first times we started doing that. And particularly when our, our commissions were averaging, you know, three grand-ish. Zoe. Yes. Um, you know, it was painful because it made us more aware. We couldn't you know, spend as much on lifestyle. Or or stupid crap for the business that we probably should. Exactly. You know, Which you probably, know. truthfully, yeah. even when the advent of all this Mickey Mouse bullshit that you guys do for buying leads and all that stuff, that stuff all started to churn up in the, uh, when Julie and I were selling real estate in the 90s. And because we were disciplined to our, our wealth accumulation plan, that literally was our mission. We wanted to be rich where our money worked for us and we no longer work for our money. And we wanted to do it by the time we were 40. And we did. We had accumulated enough passive income sources. But actually, if you want to know the full truth, I wasn't 40. I was 40 in six months. But Julie had done it because she's a year younger than me before she was 40. <laughs> so lucky her, she did it. Uh, but had we not been absolutely brutal with ourselves, now, there was a cost to it. And I don't want to, you know, there was. We didn't live in as fancy as a house if we, as we could. We didn't go on lots of fancy vacations until we could easily afford to pay cash. We didn't, you know, we didn't do a lot of the things that you guys will borrow money to do and you have normalized being something that you feel is an, an entitlement, right? So we didn't do a lot of those things for decades, but it worked and we accomplished our goal. You know, we did. And now we're living at the Ritz-Carlton in Puerto Rico, but it's not that simple, okay? The reality of it is, is there are ways for you guys to accumulate money now um, that had, I mean, I, I just think back and I, I can't even formulate words around when I'm trying to, you know, my emotions are, over, are overtaking me because when I think about the opportunity that is EXP revenue share, frankly, and I think about what, how our lives, Julie, would have been different had we had that when, you know, Jim Duvall asked Absolutely. me that question. You know, he, he would have said, what is rich? And I'll tell you what I would have said. I said it was the blessings of EXP revenue share. Probably what <laughs> Julie dropped her mic. Sorry. It's probably what you because I'll you're dropping. This, well, then stop. Right. Go ahead. Keep talking. Yeah. Where's the mic? It's right there. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. I can fix it. Right there. Just keep talking. See what I'm dealing with, people? I was trying to untangle us and it backfired on see, me. See what I'm dealing with? You, you guys all Maybe need to, have to come over there. Yeah, You're like two feet away. Exactly. Well, so you know that's the that's probably what the answer would be. So back when Julie and I were that coming been up, awesome. That would have been honestly, amazing. Julie. Can you imagine? Uh, I mean, everything would have been fast forwarded. I, I bet you right everything. now, if we had had the opportunity twenty nine years ago, if yeah. this was around twenty nine years ago, at this point in our lives, it, I don't. 
Honestly, we'd have hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. No we doubt. would, because if we would have taken the discipline that we had developed with regards to and under- applied it to that, oof, oh, been awesome. Yeah, I mean that's and in these some of these folks that Julie and I are meeting at EXP, and I know you guys have heard about EX, EXP revenue share. And if you want to learn more about it, if you want to actually have a real, you know, drilled down conversation with me about it, and you're ready to join EXP or you're you're moving past EXP curious, you're almost ready to become EXP committed, as I'm fond of saying. I want you to text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. If you're just EXP curious and you're just wanting to get started and wanting more information, um, just uh, text the word EXP to 31996. You can do that now. And I'll text you back. It's a video. I think it's nine minutes long. And it goes over everything about EXP. But if you're ready to move forward, you can text me directly at 512-758-0206. So, so here's the point I'm trying to make. Julie and I... We followed a path. It was not easy. We followed a path. It was sometimes, um, it required lots of sacrifice. It required decades of doing what we didn't want to do and we didn't want to do it at the highest level. It, we followed a path that probably for the first 10 years, maybe even more, we weren't even sure we were on the right path because we weren't seeing the, you know, the real payoff for all of our, our, our extra work and our sacrifice. Honestly, we'd had friends that were going to Europe. We had friends that were, you know, I hadn't been to Disneyland, guys, just to put this in perspective, until I was how old? 40? Yeah, well, let's see. Been 44. 44, 45. 44, yeah. 45, right. You know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's actually kind of a good <laughs> thing, if you want to know the truth. But it was fun. We'll go yeah, again because Zoe liked it. You liked it. Yeah, it But the, the point is you guys get the idea. And a lot of you are, are doing the same things because you read the same books. You came up with the same in the same era. And you're wanting to buy rental properties. And you're wanting to do all the right things. You're trying to be conservative with your money. But it doesn't seem like you're moving the needle very much financially. And it's because you're not. And unless you do something, unless you stop trusting that you have the financial and, uh, and uh, maybe even mental fortitude to accumulate wealth, you won't do it. Neither would have Julie and I. We didn't have it either. We certainly aren't, you know, financial geniuses. No way. If we were, we wouldn't have gotten into real estate. Neither of you. <laughs> we wouldn't. We would have gotten. We've been working on Wall Street, or we would have been doing something that was, sure. you know, required having but a little bit more. That doesn't mean that you can't do it now. I right. Think that's the point. Is that you don't want to have your whole life look back and say, "Well, if I had just gotten started earlier, if I just made that decision back then instead of waiting so long." You instead want to say, "Thank you, past fill in the blank with your name." For taking that risk, for doing something maybe you weren't completely understanding. Maybe, you you know, you, you your sixth sense said that it was the right thing, even though you didn't totally understand it. But you didn't allow yourself to get into analysis paralysis. You didn't allow yourself to just, you know, go down that rabbit hole. You pulled the trigger instead. And even, even six months from now, you'll be able to look back and say, thank you, past fill in the blank. I didn't have the um, experience or intellect to be able to... Um, qualify or even know who I was listening to what, or what I was reading or hearing, whether or not it was good information because I had no basis of comparison. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I had no way of knowing. I had I, no. I don't think most people do. You certainly right. don't get any level of financial education ever. Never. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of it is intentionally confusing because the financial people want you to basically think you're too dumb to understand it, well, which sure. frankly, a lot of us are them. too dumb to understand. Right. Yeah. And then you basically uh, hire them to, to you know, manage your money and sell you crap that you don't really need. Sure. And the next thing you know, decades passed and you're saying to yourself, well, I, this was supposed to make it so I could retire comfortably. And now you're not. What happened? Yeah. yeah. What happened? Now I can't get that time back. I mean, that's what happens to most people. But guys, listen, the EXP revenue share thing is the most remarkable thing I've ever come across in um, in real estate. It just, it really is. The opportunity for you to 
uh, frankly, just doing your normal real estate practices, doing what you normally do, and just having an occasional conversation with somebody joining you at EXP, uh, the, the financial ramifications of that are profound. The gentleman I was referring to, he is with EXP. A lot of these other people, everyone, I know, Julie and I know quite a few people that have started with EXP. And I know these numbers sometimes intimidate you, but these are straight up truth. I'm not making income statements. I'm just saying generalized conversations. Julie and I know dozens of people at EXP who just less than five years ago, two or three years ago, were essentially you know, they're journeymen. They're making, they're selling houses. They were successful. Most of them weren't that successful. They got into EXP. They probably got into EXP too early. Right now probably is the right time. Maybe two years ago, three years ago was maybe too early, but they got in, they did it. They made the decision. None of these guys were household names. They weren't rock stars. They're just, you know, a few, a few of them were rock stars for the most part, names you don't even know, but they're accumulating you know, in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars per month, other cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars per month from revenue share. It's real. I've seen the numbers. It's this is really happening in real estate. And so here's where and like I heard this, too, and, and I didn't believe it. And I told this story before and I don't mind, you know, filleting myself. I Julie and I were exposed to EXP probably back in 2008 or 2009, and we shot it down. We weren't, our egos weren't ready to hear the, hear what it had to offer. And back then it only had like 300 people. Now the XP has got 33,000 people. They're going to have over, you know, agents. They're going to have over 40,000 agents probably by the end of this year. And if the growth continues, which I'm sure it's going to over a hundred thousand agents by the end of 2021 and on and on and on. And they're opening in different countries. Like I said, this is the right, absolutely the right time to uh, consider EXP. But the, the situation that Glenn Sanford created for real estate agents will go down in history as being the single most important thing ever created since, frankly, the 6% commission in the co-op probably, right? Yeah, that counts. <laughs> yeah, that counts. Since ever. And since people started thinking, you know, hiring real estate people and paying them 6%. I don't know who created that, but that was a big, that was a good day in real estate history, right? When somebody, when, when they, I just picture a bunch of, you know, old fat men and uh, sitting around a boardroom and hammering out, should it be 4% or 8%? Yeah. Oh, it's 6%. Good, done. That's what commission is, right? I mean, how'd that happen, right? I don't know. But since, since then, and since there was, in the United States at least, there's a co-op where buyer agents can get a you know, portion of the commission, part of the transaction. That doesn't work that way in other parts of the world. Since then, and you can say, well, Remax was a big evolutionary thing. And it probably was. And Keller Williams, it, I'm, all those things are true. Nothing has been, is as significant as EXP. There are no comparisons. And the reason is, is because it's built for agents. And that's not BS. It's actually built for agents. It's built for agents in every single thing that they do. And I'll, I'll, I had a conversation yesterday um, with an agent, and she's, I'm trying to remember, she's in Oregon. And actually, I'll use her name because I know she wouldn't mind. Becky, right? It is Becky, yeah. yes. So I was talking with Becky. So Becky is right now with um, Keller Williams. Who cares if I say the name, right? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she loves Keller Williams. She loves the brokerage. She loves the office. She loves the people in her office. There's nothing bad she has to say about Keller Williams. There's nothing bad we ever say about Keller Williams, right? Great company. Gary mm-hmm. Keller. Unbelievably smart, brilliant guy, straight up. Um, no buts, no ands, no commas. Just that's a fact. Now she uh, was um, she's moving DXP. She's joining Julie and I's DXP team, which I'm inviting you guys to do as well. And she um, was getting her uh, Keller Williams office tried to retain her. And so they I didn't tell you this. The no. call I had with her yesterday, uh-huh. they basically had a two hour long conversation, two hours wow. where they were trying to save her. And the things that they said to her weren't true. 
the things that they said to her about what, like they're talking about revenue share versus profit share, for example. And, and this is something that, that it was a good point, but it was also a lie. The person trying to retain her said that the profit share and revenue share are the same thing. Now, let's just maybe make believe that he didn't know he was lying, but he was. Revenue share, and the reason that the EXP revenue share model works so well is because of the way that Glenn experienced profit share at Keller Williams. So profit share is whatever's left at the brokerage, um, if there is anything left at the end of the month, is then shared. And the problem is, is that the profit is often, if not always, spent, so none of it's distributed on office expenses. I was told, um, and I think I think I actually saw this memo, that Keller Williams franchise holders back in March, and this is smart business, I'm not criticizing. If I were Keller Williams corporate, exactly the move I would have made. Prepay your leases, prepay your fixed expenses. We don't know because of COVID what the market's going to do. If you've got money sitting in the coffers, you're going to share, uh, send in towards to agents for profit share. If there was any in the first place, don't send it out profit share. Send that money and basically prepaying bills. So in case the months ahead are scary, which they were, which again, brilliant business move, then you know basically you've got your basis covered financially. Okay, and that's what they did. No profit share. That's not see. That's the, when somebody else is controlling the profit you're making. Chances are you're never going to make any profit. That's the reason that profit share, even though it sounds good, is terrible because you don't control what the profit is. Get this concept. Now, here is the genius behind what Glenn did. Straight up genius. It's revenue share. So let's say, for example, um, an agent that you bring in. And, you, know, you sponsor an agent in your, let's just say you're in Columbus, Ohio, and you sponsor an agent in France. I mean, EXP is in France now. Or you sponsor an agent in California. Or, you know, who knows where? It's all over the United States. Anywhere you know, in the United States, Canada, and five other countries, Mexico, for example, most of Central America is going to be coming online, the rest of Europe, okay, you sponsor an agent there, Those, that agent then basically says that you are the most influential reason why they decided to join EXP, it's not a hard thing, EXP pretty much is, and anyone, anytime people have an open mind, and they're le- not using emotions, they're using intellect, and they see what Glenn's created, they always say yes, because there's nothing else that compares to what EXP does, it's, it's unbelievable, so that person then sells a house. The commission that they take into EXP is $10,000, let's say. You get paid off the top before EXP gets paid. I mean, no, technically EXP got paid, right? The check went to EXP or the wire went to EXP. But you get paid off the gross revenue from the top, not whatever a bunch of bureaucrats have determined uh, dictates what the profit is. Do you guys get it? You get paid before the company technically gets paid. You get paid before the agent gets paid. You get paid paid before the tax man gets paid. It's revenue. It's revenue. That's the difference. You get paid off the top. Yeah. Who does that? Now, I, I would contend probably who was speaking with Becky probably was just not that educated about EXP. You know, and, and in their mind, because it kind of sounds the same. Right. Right? I mean, it, it would be easy to mix those things you up. You can tell Julie's much nicer than me. I think what well, they were trying I'm to do is... What KW- they were being, you know, maybe if they called it net share, yeah, that or something. would be more accurate, right? And it would be less confusing. So, but actually, you're bringing up an interesting point, right? Yeah. Because they're not saying it's the net. It okay. Here's the bucket of profit. Yeah. It, and then here's you get left. you get a portion of that. It's right. not. It really that's a good point. It's not even profit right. share. It's yeah. it's something else. The, the term profit share is a misnomer. That's an excellent it, it point. I never thought about that. Than, I mean, that's good. In your head, it would be easy yeah. to mess up. But it's it's also not true. I know. How's it profit share? I'm if just you, to, you, whatever the profit is, you sh- that's good, Julie. I'm taking that one to the bank. There you go. Yeah, but revenue <laughs> share is better. Yeah. 
Yes. Easier to understand. Indeed. And more exciting, too. <laughs> it is a bigger number. Yeah. So if you guys, so. look, lock into this. Do not. Well, and I, you didn't even talk about the stock. I talked to an agent last week. I can't remember. I want to say she got into EXP like five years ago. Oh, but God. But she said she paid uh, $1.29 for the stock. Yeah. And her husband, I think, got in before her or was trying. I think they were trying to get in before that when it was like eight or nine cents per share. They're pretty happy right now. Yeah. Well, why? Because it's it, what was trading for uh, 45 $46. And I think it settled down to 35 It closed last Friday at like 42 or something yeah. like that. You not know, bad. we're not, we're not, I don't know what kind of legal disclaimer we're supposed to throw out there, but obviously we're not suggesting. Just stating you, facts. Just stating facts. And we do know a lot of agents who have basically become uh, millionaires and multimillionaires, paid off their houses, their total, their lives, their grandchildren's lives, everyone's lives, because they decided to join with the XP, right? I mean, and for you not to do it after you've heard and understand, even if you don't completely understand, you only 30% understand it. For you not to move forward with it, knowing that it could change your life and knowing it could change all the lives of everyone that comes after you, maybe you can't emotionally attach to that, right? Maybe that's not something that really drives you because you've never thought that big. And that's the case with most people. Would you agree, Julie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do think, you know, yes, you were talking about when we first uh, were introduced to it and we were kind of like, yeah, I don't know about that and kind of blew it was It was mostly me. I was dumb. I mean, you, I, I thought, I, I you guess had an I just did give it too yeah. much thought at the time. But I now that I fully understand it, and you know, I say that, but every week they come up with some more cool stuff. No, you just you learn. Okay, you're right? learning. And I'm I'm still learning. I shouldn't yeah. say I fully understand it. I know enough to be able to make the statement that not doing it is downright financially irresponsible. It is. I mean, I truly believe that. If you're in real estate, you have a real estate license. You know how to sell houses. You're looking to not just make more money, but keep more money. Create, you know, passive. Well, this income creates going multiple forward. streams of income. Absolutely. And so, I want to be clear too. What we're talking about with the revenue share with EXP is not there to replace what we were talking about earlier with the saving of the ten percent and the managing of your money and the letting go of thinking something, you know, working on your mindset about money. This is in addition to that. This is like the icing on the cake. This is like strapping rocket boosters to right. your savings plan. Exactly. It's that, not instead of. It's in addition to. It makes what we were talking about better and more effective. And still sell real estate. But here's the move. Here's the move. It is a real estate company at the end of the day. Right. And you guys, some of you guys are going to listen. You're going to be pissed off. I didn't tell you guys where to invest your money. I didn't do that intentionally. Not because I'm trying to sell you something, but because we're not financial advisors. But if I was wanting to explore that, here are the keywords that I would use. <laughs> are you listening, listeners? I would Google Bogglehead's Five Fund Portfolio. That's what I would Google. Bogglehead's B-U, is it L-E? B-O-G-L-E. Yeah, it's org, isn't it? Can you just make sure I'm yeah, getting the URL right? Second. Yeah, it's, it's Bogglehead's, I think it's Bogglehead's.org. And it's uh, right. Jack, it, I think Jack Vogel, I think is his name. He started, um, what is it? Help me remember. The Power Fund Portfolio? Uh, Vanguard. Vanguard. Okay. okay, so Van Vanguard is um, now. How do you buy Vanguard index funds? You have to open up a brokerage account. Uh, we have our brokerage account at Ameritrade. Why do we have our brokerage account at Ameritrade? Well, you guys know us by now because they charge virtually nothing for doing trades. So you can start depositing money on a regular basis into Ameritrade. It doesn't cost anything to open up the account. You need to have the financially the financial sweep happening every single month. 
and you can do it again. What, we're advi- what I advise our friend to do is basically he's going to start taking 50% of the money he's earning from revenue share, and he's going to start basically following the financial advice that I'm loosely giving you guys now. The gist of it is is open up a brokerage account at Amerit- Ameritrade. Again, it's because it's easy, it's cheap, and it's reliable. And then start regularly depositing money in there, and then start de- uh, evenly dividing the money into five different um, index funds as prescribed by Boggleheads. Um, and there you go. That's it. And it's called the Five Fund for- Portfolio. Julie just Googled something. You're staring at me? No, I'm good. Oh, okay. Okay, so that's that's the way to do it, and then just start. And if you do this, and and the nice thing about the index funds, again, read, do your own homework on this. The nice thing about the index funds is, generally speaking, you're going to have your money, your total accumulation of money, double every, let's call it conservatively, ten years. Um, ours has been doing better than that. Most of you guys are going to, you know, probably have your money double every seven or eight years. So in the next twelve months, let's say you deposit, you know, hundred thousand dollars. Well, seven or eight years from now, that's going to be worth two hundred. Well, Tim, that's not enough to really retire on. No. But if you start doing that every single year, that money accumulating in the index funds is going to actually equal something substantial. Now, you do that with the profit you're making maybe from selling real estate or from your revenue share from EXP. EXP revenue share is going to compound monthly. The money I'm talking about that you invest in the stock market compounds annually. The difference between annual um, compounding and monthly compounding, you guys have to Google that to understand. It's substantial. So you create multiple streams of income, and with the profit from the multiple streams of income, that you then reinvest that money into the, in following a, a subscription, a prescription that I just gave you or something very close to it, you will accumulate more money by accident, just because you did not get in the way than you can possibly imagine. And with that money, if you're confused after you're a multimillionaire what to do with it, if you're really baffled by it, you don't know what to do, you're in spiritual upheaval, you feel bad about having, you know, being worth all these millions of dollars, I am a good friend to all of you. You can just give it to Julie and I. Consider it a charitable donation. I will take it. Look, I will be more than happy to have you give all the money oh, to good. us, and I'll thank you, and I'll probably send you a thank you card. Exactly. <laughs> just to make you feel okay about it. Yeah, but you know what's funny when we talk about this? It's a revelation for me to close a, a, a emotional loop. And that's what really this feels like to me, an emotional loop that you and I started when we first got married, trying to figure out sort of, you know, the plan sure. for us to be where we wanted to be financially. I mean, I, Julie and I do not want to be beholden to a geographic location. Zoe is homeschooled. We want to live in different parts of the world, do our podcast from Zimbabwe. Why the hell not? You know, be on the back of an elephant and... and <laughs> Wherever you can do that. <laughs> trying to imagine doing a podcast on the back of an elephant. We would totally do that. Yeah. Well, Zoe would. Zoe you, would. you wouldn't. No, I would do that. You would. Yeah. Okay, we're in the back of an elephant right now sure. doing a podcast. I'm good with that. I'm thinking you're scared of flies. I'm seeing you batting at things, no, no. going crazy. Well, that's true. I didn't need bug spray. That's exactly true. Industrial strength. Yeah. Agent Orange. For old sure. school shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe elephants can do that for you. I don't know. No. Maybe, you know what? You'll be riding around the back of an elephant in a capsule. Yes. I could have a tent. A tent. There you go. With See, an air conditioner. Well, more argument to, you know, keep accumulating wealth so you can just slap a t- tent on top of an elephant if you feel like So, it. listeners, you're getting the vibe <laughs> that Julie and I are never going to Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> but, our, our podcast may have peaked. Yeah, well, it did. But you get the point, though. So, that, why not allow yourself to have complete freedom? And remember, don't be in conflict with wealth accumulation because there is a direct correlation between the money you have the, the wealth you experience, the freedom that you have, the lack of fear and lack of worry from lack that you have, 
the the people you're able to help, the food you're able to eat, the clothes you're able to have, the cars you're able to drive, the vacations you're able to have, all of those things are a result of having helped other people. The wealth accumulation that you do or don't have are a direct reciprocal uh, relationship to the number of people you helped. Full stop. Do not overcomplicate it. Nope. Do not make it in some spiritual, you know, sit around and making the universe bring you things on silver plates and all this other absolute, complete, uh, what's your dad call it? Hooey. Hooey. <laughs> Don't think like that. Just think, if you do not have the house you want, the cars you want, the lifestyle you want, the relationships you want, the money you want, if you have not done the things in your life that you want, it's because you've not helped enough other people accomplish their goals. Real estate is the absolute magic carpet for doing that because you can soar as high as you want to and everyone needs to always buy, a ha- buy or sell a house no matter what the economy is doing. You know, not necessarily buy or sell, but lease right? Real estate is something that all of us need forever. And guys, not to be morbid, but we even have to pay for our, uh, the place on the planet we take up after we're dead, right? right. (laughs) You do. So you're always going to have a housing expense. It might someday be, you know, the dead version of you, but I mean, I'm not being morbid, but that is true. You know, you're not going to wake up one day and then all of a sudden, oh, even if you did have everything paid off, you still have to pay for stuff. You still have taxes. You're not going to wake up and, and just have no expenses. Right. So anyway, hopefully this inspires a lot of you guys. It you know sure as hell would have inspired me if I had heard this forever ago. Um, what guys, is the, the point of us sharing all of these stories and torturing them in this fashion? <sighs> yeah, well, we do have thousands of people that listen to these shows, oh, you know, and I hope that at least one percent of them get it. Because guys, you only live once, and you're dead a real long time. You yes. know, it, you got to realize that if you're not on the path, it, it, it just the question I ask you is about as simple as you know. It cuts through the Mickey Mouse as fast as you're going. You've been on this planet for how long? You've earned how much money? And you're still worrying about money. You're still having, if you have six months with no income, you're screwed. If it wasn't for the EDD loans and the and the pay, paycheck protection loans and all this, how many businesses are still going out of business? How many of you would have been on your backs financially had it not been for some government bailout that happened? All of you practically, right? Mm-hmm. It's a fact. So you should be absolutely at emotionally if you want to bring emotions into it you should be pissed off at yourself for not basically having accumulated more money at this point in your life because the truth is guys is that at this point you need to accept the fact that you do not have the decision making financial decision making algorithm um, and you cannot trust what you know because if you if what you knew worked you would have already been there and you're not and you're not going to be there so you're going to have to actually put something in place like the system we prescribe to all of you that's going to radically change the results you're going to have in life and if you don't you won't. And there it is. That's the bottom line. Same with Julie and I, too. We're not geniuses really at anything, I don't think. You know, but we just we know enough not to trust ourselves to be good at things that we're not good at. And we're only good at maybe two or three things. That's it. Same as you guys. Mm-hmm. And that's life. And, and the best people in the world are only good at two or three things. You know, for example, maybe Trump, <laughs> I'm not being political, this is a joke. So those of you who, I, who I've just triggered, I, uh, forgive me. Microaggression <laughs> alert. <laughs> Maybe Trump, maybe Trump is definitely, well, he's definitely good at international stuff. He's definitely good. He, he's going to, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. He actually did something that could be, could change the whole uh, uh, history in the future of the Middle East. Did you guys even know about it? No. Yes, but that happened. He's done so many significant things that nobody ever talks about. Again, this is now sounding political. So there obviously are skill sets this man has that previous presidents for the last you know 50 years didn't have. There's obviously some attributes he has, but there are other things that he is horrible at. 
<laughs> he is terrible. Right. So he is good at two or three things, and most of those things you don't see because they happen behind the scenes. But the things you do see, not good. Because <laughs> they're obvious. The Twitter thing. He's, he like, did, he's like that cat on the keyboard that you, you know, see on Facebook. You know, it's funny. I remember when he was running for president. Yeah. His daughter actually said, I introduced him to Twitter. I set oh. up his Twitter account. I wonder how she, she feels about that now. I wonder if she'd want to go back and maybe change that decision. <laughs> Time machine. <laughs> yeah, but still. So his ability to vamp or his ability to speak, mm-hmm. his ability to um, communicate things and be tactful about it, be presidential about it. Mm-hmm. He is used to communicating in an environment where he is king, and which makes sense because it worked. And in a, in a political environment, he can be uh, king when the doors are closed. Yeah. But when he's out in front of his Twitter... Not he so needs much. to he needs to be a little bit more tactful. But has he created some opportunities and some things um, that other uh, presidents couldn't even have mentally imagined? Absolutely, because again, he had a unique and has a unique skill set. Because the two or three things that he's really good at, he's perhaps better at it than any president we've ever had. How crazy is that? But the things that he's bad at, he is so far. <laughs> off unhinged that you know about some of the things that he yeah, says at least he has enthusiasm about what he's bad at he takes I know but the whole thing but isn't it hilarious I know it is the juggling but it's true you know and I think that that also touches on you know the other consternation is that you well you have to have this balanced approach and be good at everything in nope. life no you don't you just have to know what your limitations are know what you're good at know what you suck at and monetize what you're good at yeah that's right monetize what you're good at that is the bottom line all right guys so hopefully we've helped you to monetize what you're good at and hopefully some of you guys are going to make yourselves maybe slightly uncomfortable and you're going to have the exp conversation with me because it is the next natural step for all of you in your businesses i never intend for these conversations on sunday to spin around talk about exp but they always do and the reason they always do is because I always think to myself, or Julie and I is being effective with the words that we're choosing right now and the things that we're saying so that we can actually be of service to you guys and help you. And I always go through a, a sort of a list of things in my head that I know will resonate with all of you. But ultimately, none of those things mean anything unless you guys are actually able to change the financial trajectory of your lives. And I have never seen anything in my whole entire uh, professional life that, ha- that can have as much of a profound impact on your life in a positive way than EXP. And you guys have to explore it. You have a moral obligation, if not to yourself, but to your family. If not to your family, maybe you don't like your family, okay? Maybe your grandchildren. Maybe to a charity that you want to donate the money to. Or like I said, if you still don't know what to do with it, I'll give you Julie and I's address. You can just mail it to us. That's good too. <laughs> yeah. So Julie, anything else you'd like to say to these guys as we wrap? Well, I mean, even if you don't feel absolutely confident as most people don't in your financial decisions and your brokerage decisions doesn't matter you still have to make a decision you have to hang it somewhere might as well do it where you have the most benefits to you even if you're not you know 110 percent versed on it you probably weren't when you joined wherever you are now right, right exactly so you know make hay while the sun shines this is all true fourth quarter you got to keep on cranking it out but also make wise mature business decisions and if you need help we've given you lots of different ways that you can get help so you know don't be complacent is my parting thought on this sunday and uh just to keep things lighter i i I caught zoe reading what was it uh how to play hide and seek like a navy seal (laughs) she she did you bought that book i know but she was reading it this morning which is why she came up with her hiding elaborate so she has the all-time best hiding place now taken away from me from having the last best one 
But uh, just so you know, the first chapter is camouflage. So I'm not sure what she's been doing while we've been on this podcast, but I bet she's created some camouflage for the next round. Oh, my gosh. She's hilarious. Anyway, guys, listen, uh, do the smart thing. Even if you're not completely ready, text me, 512-758-0206. Let's have the EXP conversation. Let's create a, you know, let's co-create a financial plan, a business plan, a life plan for you that's going to make it so that a year from now, maybe you guys choose to uh, come visit us down here in the Ritz-Carlton in Puerto Rico, or maybe you guys can come live here with us. That's great, too. We have, that's the other thing. It's so many of our that's friends awesome. from EXP are moving down here. It's wonderful, isn't it? We have some new neighbors. I know. It's crazy. It's almost like we're having this big, goofy, dysfunctional family of <laughs> EXP it's people. Yeah, it's the island. Come <laughs> to the island. You know, I had one of them ask me a funny question. What's that? They asked, like, so what do you guys do? What's your typical schedule? And it involved a lot of going to the ocean and having fun. Yeah. And then they were, like, fearful, like they were going to somehow be uh, not want to work as hard anymore. And, you know, like, what? how is that going to work? And I said, well, you just basically work smarter where you condense your work time into, say, for example, the morning. Or you so work you, on the beach. Or you, you work on the beach, the right? The phone works on the beach. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Okay. Well, listen, guys, think big and then act bigger. That's the takeaway from today. If you need me, 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.